Hello and welcome to State of Crime. One state, two murders, lots of crime with Elena and Kaylin. Hi, Kaylin. Hi, how are you? Emotionally wrecked. Oh dear. Oh yeah. Okay. I was like, why? Yeah. We just I talked just, about this. Yes. <laughs> I just saw Endgame and ugly cried my way through it. And I'm not going to give away any spoilers, even though by the time this is aired, you know, a lot of people have seen it, but ugh. Yeah, I just, I need to go sit and cry and process and deal with it. It was an incredibly, amazingly well-written story. And with that, and I'm also a Game of Thrones nerd, so <laughs> the Battle of Winterfell is looming tomorrow night. We're recording this on a Saturday, and I just don't think emotionally I'm prepared for all this. See, I am really backed up on the, on the whole Marvel everything, mm -hmm. and... I never really got into Game of Thrones until I had tried watching it. And I think I got four or five episodes into the first season. I was like, this is dumb. <laughs> don't, don't come at me for that. <laughs> I have since started re-watching it. And I'm now on in the middle of like episode four okay. or something. Good. But, and it, it's better this time around that I'm actually yeah. like paying well, and I was Well, I wasn't super late, but I think I didn't watch... Season one, I want to say, and then everybody was talking about it, and I'd even like read all the spoilers for how season one ended because everyone was so shocked. And then I think I so I started reading the books, and then I watched season one, and then season two came, you know, and so then I yeah. kind of stayed up as the seasons came out, and I read the books all the way up to when the fifth book, which is the last book he's written, came out. I purchased it immediately, ripped through it in a couple of days, and yeah, so I'm a nerd. That's funny. But yeah, so I that's just never really been been my thing, so I don't share your <laughs> emotional stress okay. with happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So. Well, today's going to be different. Yes. On one end, it's partially because we switched um, states up, because at the end of our last episode... We said we'd be in North Carolina. We lied. We lied. Because we we're taking a detour. Detour <laughs> on, in the opposite direction. Yes. And we're going to Washington today. Yes. And we are also going to bring in something we haven't done before, which is a little bit of conspiracies. Yes. Well, we've had a little, I mean, maybe not super well-founded conspiracies, but we've definitely had, I guess, alternate versions of some of the yeah. murders that we've presented. But this one is one that people are already very deeply into and very emotionally tied to, I would say. Yeah. And so I'm kind of excited to do this. And this may well be a two-parter. Yeah, depending on how long, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll we're going to kind of play it by ear to yes. see how, how, how long we go. Be. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you guys will have already read the title. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about Kurt Cobain today. Yes. And if any of you don't know who he is, I am sorry and you've lived <laughs> under a rock. But he is the, was the lead singer of Nirvana. He was super, probably, arguably one of the largest names in the 90s. Yes. And I would say today too. Do you know what? Mm -hmm. He's one of those singers, songwriters 
who gets that term, you know, voice of his generation. And, you know, I lived through the Kurt Cobain era. I, I have the firsthand experience. Yeah. A lot of our listeners only know about this after it all mm-hmm. happened. Um, and I, you know, I remember at the time, even when Nirvana was first breaking big, there were a lot of comparisons specifically to John Lennon that he had that same sort of impact, you know, on listeners that he was dealing with. And I have to say, I was never a huge fan of Nirvana. Now, it's not that I've appreciated a few of their songs, and I have since become a huge fan of Dave Grohl, Mm -hmm. and I I just adore him, Uh as do many people. But I have to say, I'm very... I don't know if I want to say mixed feelings about Kurt Cobain. I would say that I have an appreciation for him. I'm not sure that I agree with all the accolades that he gets. And so I, I maybe I'll be the controversial voice on this one. But. I think that... I do think that he lived a lifestyle that should not be... It shouldn't be romanticized. Yes. And I really feel like... And I guess maybe that's what bothers me. Mm -hmm. So, in the early... When when Kurt Cobain and those guys first hit, we're talking, what, early 90s? So... Yeah. I was in my 20s, like my mid to late 20s. And what year did he die? 94. Okay. So, yeah. So, I was in my mid-20s. Um, I was 26, 28, 28 when he died. So you're late 20s. So yeah, late 20s. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. Like, I'm emotionally wrecked from game people. <laughs> Give me a break. But, um, you know, even at the time, like I said, I just found, yeah, I, I guess maybe I was a little too old. I don't know, but and a little too judgy. <laughs> but th- there's something about that, that, like you said, the lifestyle, mm-hmm. that extreme nihilism and I, I I do consider him a nihilist in many ways maybe more of a cynic but crossing the line into nihilism especially given do you want his to tragic end. what that is well, to an, our uh, listeners who aren't <laughs> English teachers so a nihilist is a person who just believes and embraces the idea that there's no meaning to anything and it's most often associated in philosophical terms with Friedrich Nietzsche, but even Nietzsche wasn't a true nihilist. He said, you know, one of his most famous quotations was, the person who has, what is it? the person who has a why to live can deal with any how. I'm, that's not a direct quotation, but, but it still is talking about the purpose, you know, having a purpose in your life. I also think that his lyrics very much go with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I also believe at least a little bit a lot through what his family and friends have since said since his death I also believe that he is a person thought differently okay yeah and I I can see that too and I do think especially after the birth of his daughter Mm -hmm. I do have to say I feel like that you know what I mean like I told you we were talking before we started recording and I was telling you that HBO did a documentary where they focused on his his journals Throughout his life, you know, yeah. that had been opened up. And, and there definitely, I think, his daughter gave him a purpose and a meaning yeah. in some ways. But, um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I uh, These tragic fallen heroes like this. I, I, I don't know if you can call him a hero. Oh, I think 
I don't think you and I maybe would define him as a hero, but he is a hero to many, many people. Yeah. And I mean, still now, I have students who idolize him. And I would understand that from a musical perspective. Mm-hmm. But a lifestyle perspective, I can't agree. And maybe, especially if you're talking about your students now who are younger, maybe don't know the full story. Mm-hmm. Because his lifestyle, and even the way he was raised in his childhood and stuff, that's not something to idolize. No, no, no. And I understand going from <laughs> where he was as a younger person into being such a huge rock star. That I understand. But other than that, I don't. I couldn't agree. Right. So, we're just going to jump right in. And, and let's just start off by, by being upfront about this, right? A suicide is not a murder. Correct. And so, <laughs> Kaylin, of course, is going to go into all of the conspiracy theories that, in fact, we are not dealing with a suicide here, but that, in fact, the death of Kurt Cobain was a homicide. But I will stick to fact as much as possible and when I'm giving my own opinions, I will make sure I tell you that they're my own <laughs> opinions because all in all, this has been ruled a suicide. Or, yes, a suicide. Yeah, the official cause of death, according to the coroner's office, it's, you know, on his death certificate, is, is suicide. suicide. However, there have been two documentaries that have called that into question. Mm-hmm. There are a plethora of YouTube videos and other online sources. And there is just an endless list of conspiracies of different ideas of what people think may have happened Mm -hmm. to him. And so we're just going to start at the beginning. He was born on February 20th of 1969 in Aberdeen, Washington, which I've been to. It's a very small town. My sisters ended up living there for a while after call or after high school. Mm -hmm. And I had gone to visit. And cool thing about Aberdeen is their welcome to Aberdeen sign at the bottom says come as you are. Mm -hmm. Which I thought was cool. Which is really funny that he was born in 69. That's the same year. 67. Oh, you said 67? I thought you just said 69. But maybe I was dreaming. So he's actually a year younger than I am. Which is weird because I just, like I said, even at the time, I looked at him as somebody... Not of my generation. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I don't know why I felt this incredible disconnect from the very... But maybe maybe part of it's the cynicism and the, the nihilism. But yeah. I, I don't know. So, yeah. I Gosh, I didn't realize we were so cool to I'm quite freaking out. <laughs> um, his mom was a waitress and his dad was a mechanic. And they married in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, um, two years before he was born. He was really into music at a a very young age. His aunt said that he started singing when he was two. And when he was four, he was playing the piano and things like that. But when he was nine, his parents divorced. And up until then, he seemed to have a fairly normal childhood, happy kid. But when his parents divorced, he took it really hard. And he said in an interview in 1993, he said, I remember feeling ashamed for some reason. I was ashamed of my parents. I couldn't face some of my friends at school anymore because I desperately wanted to have the classic, you know, typical family, mother, father. I wanted that security. So I resented my parents for quite a few years because of that. And again, you know, this is something too that I think a lot of our listeners would not, don't, 
some maybe can relate at least to that because you know of course it's always I think hard for children whether their parents divorce again I have to say he's growing up in a generation where those feelings were not probably only his own but also his communities do you know yeah. what I mean they're still I mean as common as divorce was becoming during the 70s and even into the 80s I have to say there was still quite a bit of stigma associated with it yeah well, both of his parents would go on to find new partners. His father would remarry, and Kurt got along, for the most part, with his stepmom. Everything was fine until she had her and his father's first child. Then he felt very left out, and then they had another child, and it got worse, and so he then started to resent her, and his mom would date and one of her biggest relationships was a very abusive relationship he at one point witnessed his mom get her arm broken oh my god and not do anything about it she went to the hospital for this broken arm but she wouldn't contact police or right. do a report or anything she stood by him the whole time which is not Unusual. uncommon right even today, that's not uncommon no. for people to stand with their abusers. And in June of 1979, his mom granted full custody to his dad. Which was very unusual at that time. Mm -hmm. So, growing up, he was rebellious and he quickly got into drugs and alcohol. And by his second year of high school, he had some issues with his dad, so he moved in with his mom. And two weeks before he was supposed to graduate high school, he dropped out because he found out he wouldn't have enough credits to graduate, so he basically said, fuck it, I'm yeah. done. So he wasn't going to graduate anyway. It's yes. not like, hey, just at two weeks, and yeah. he threw it out. So And <clears throat> this was when his mom basically told him, like, you need to get a job or you need to get out. So he ends up homeless. And so he's kind of couch hopping with his friends. At some point he is sleeping under a bridge, which in Washington is terrible because right. it's always raining. That part of Washington yes. anyway. You yeah. Know, yeah. Aberdeen's so. fairly mm -hmm. close to the coast. Right. So it's, I was there, I believe I was there for about a week. And I think I maybe saw a total of like 30 minutes of sunshine the entire time I was there. So it rains a oh. lot. Yeah. Um, so he couch surfed, he would sleep under a bridge. Uh, sometimes he would sneak into his mom's basement at night and sleep in his mom's basement and then leave. That just breaks my heart. So I, I understand putting pressure on your kids. Do you know what I mean mm -hmm. about get a job? And, and I always wonder what, did he move it? I mean, did he end up homeless because he couldn't find a job or wouldn't? I mean, was yeah. this a choice? that he made just because she laid down this ultimatum? Did she actually boot him from the house? I don't think it was ever actually talked about much after that, just because it didn't seem relevant to him dying, so media didn't care. Okay. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we're going to kind of jump forward a little bit, just because I want to get more into his death okay. than all of his backstory. Because while it's important, his death and the facts of his death are a little more important in this situation. Right. So we're just going to jump forward a little bit. And 
In January of 1990 was when Kurt Cobain met Courtney Love in a nightclub in Portland. She was also a, mus- a musician. And if I do say so myself, that band sucks. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Terrible. Now, I have to say, there are some songs by Hole that I really do like. Just like I like some Nirvana songs. I mean, I'm not one of those people who loves, you know, everything in their catalog by any means. But there's some good songs there. And again, I think because Courtney is such a polarizing figure, it's very easy for people just to, do you know what I mean? Just to hate everything that she's associated with. And I'm not sure that's a hundred percent fair, but yeah, I don't know. I don't even like her speaking voice. (laughs) Her speaking voice drives me nuts. I just, I can't get into the music. I think the music sucks. It's just (laughs) terrible, but um, she was also in a, uh, in a movie in 1987 called Straight to Hell, which I don't know nothing about. Well, and don't forget, I mean, after Kurt's death for a few years there, she was a darling of Hollywood. She, she's one of those people who had a re- she was nominated for an Oscar, sweetheart. Ugh. I don't know if you realize that, but yeah. So, Ugh. yeah. Anyway. Well, in February of 1992, Kurt and Courtney got married in Hawaii and when they got married, Courtney was already pregnant with their daughter, Frances Bean Cobain. And they'd already been involved in a very tumultuous on-again, off-again relationship yes. as well. And Frances Bean, I'm sorry, I love the middle name Bean. I don't know why, but I think it's adorable. But Frances Bean Cobain was born on August 18th, 1992. And both... Kurt and Courtney were very, very avid heroin users, Mm -hmm. which we kind of talked about a little bit before. And Courtney at one point said that she had used heroin while she was pregnant, but then kind of recanted that and said that it was before she knew she was pregnant. And when that came out, there was issues with DCFS, who at one point came and took Francis away Mm -hmm. Until they fought enough to get her back. Right. So that was 1992. We're going to go ahead and jump ahead again. And on March 4th, 1994, while in Rome, Courtney Love woke up to find that Kurt was passed out from an overdose Mm -hmm. of a combination of a lot of alcohol and Rohypnol. Now, Rohypnol is... Roofies. That's the date... Right, drug, right? No. Oh. Rohypnol <laughs> is used for insomnia. Oh. Okay. It's kind of um, kind of a sedative to kind of knock people out. Right. Um, and it's also in some cases used as like an early anesthetic. Okay. And she rushed him to the hospital where he was... Some places say he was in a coma for a couple of days, which might have been a medically induced coma... But he was in the hospital for, I believe, five days before he did make a full recovery. And Courtney later calls this his first suicide attempt. Mm -hmm. I put suicide in air quotes, by the way, because I still don't believe (laughs) any of this was suicide. Now, it is said a lot that growing up, he was a depressed kid. Mm -hmm. Well, and like I said, his lyrics, his journals, I'll show that as well. I also don't think that because one is depressed, actually, I don't. I very much don't believe that just because someone's depressed, 
you can like go straight to saying they're suicidal. Oh, of course not. I mean, they're, I want to say maybe, I, I'm not even sure, I don't even think it's fair to put them on a continuum. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. I don't believe anyone's ever suicidal without first being depressed. Yes. But depression, you're Doesn't right, mean. by no means automatically filters into, to, you know, just to a suicidal thoughts. Yes. So honestly, I don't even, I don't even think this was a suicide attempt. I think this was him trying to get high. So you think it was just an accidental overdose? Yes. It was him. And he and Courtney said in the hospital, like, this was an accident. It was after he died that Courtney okay, started calling Okay, but this. here's the thing. So along those lines, however, when she says it was his first suicide attempt, do you see, you know what I mean? Like, when you have people who are very, very heavy drug users and especially to the degree that these two mm-hmm. were using drugs. There, to me, whether it's a conscious suicidal ideology or subconscious, there's some sort of a suicidal ideology Because they there. know that this is you going you know, to kill them eventually. Right, you yeah. know that, you know, like I said, taking those quantities, mixing things the way they did, you know what I'm yeah. saying? You know this is a risk that you are taking. And yes. it's a very real risk. Yeah. And later, again, after he died, Courtney would go on record saying that during this quote-unquote suicide attempt, they pumped 60 pills out of his stomach. That was not true. Okay. Even the doctor went on record saying there was nowhere near that many well, pills. Well, again, Courtney Love is... Yeah, you know, a hardcore addict. So it's not like her brain is functioning as it should yeah. either. And it's not like she was some clear, lucid, sober bystander for any of this. Yeah. Now, so they come back to Seattle where they're mm-hmm. living at this point. And on March 18th, 1994, Courtney called the Seattle police to say that Kurt... Cobain was suicidal and had locked himself in a room with a gun. So they show up. They get, he comes out of the room. Mm -hmm. And from my understanding of this, he was just like in, he had locked himself in his bedroom where there happened to be guns. It's not that he like took a gun into a room, locked it and hid himself in this room. Do you understand? I do, but again, what, who's saying all of this? Do you see, you know what I mean? Like, I see, here's my problem with so many of the narratives surrounding mm-hmm. this story. And of course, I'm playing devil's advocate a little yeah. bit here too, just, you know, to try to deal with the other side of this. But you have a group of people, you know, because it's not just Kurt and Courtney, right? Yeah. It's everybody around them is doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't know how trustworthy any of these sources are. Yeah. And I agree. I do agree with that. So when this happened, he tells the cops, I was, I'm not suicidal. Mm-hmm. He's like, I was just hiding from her, which given their relationship is understandable. Right. And... Still, the police confiscate his guns. So, on 
March 25th, Courtney, hypocritically, <laughs> arranged an intervention for Kurt. Okay. Kind of giving him, just telling him, like, you have to get clean. Like, not giving him any sort of options mm -hmm. at this point. Which, again, very hypocritical because she is still using. Right. So how are you, even as a human being, going to be using, especially as much heroin as they were using, how are you going to be still using that much but tell your husband you have to get clean? Well, because I think that, I mean, you can both be drug users and one of you can be far worse than the other. Do you know? I mean, yeah. that's that's just a thing. I mean, it just because you're both using. Um, again, I, I'm one of those people that I definitely believe that drug use and addiction, again, are on a continuum, you know, and some people are, not that I'm a fan of any of it, but are definitely worse than others. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? And I think Courtney had, if I remember correctly, you know, like around when she was pregnant, she had tried to get off, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. she had at least these brief, however spotty they may have been, but at least some periods of sobriety here. And I, and I do think everyone pretty much agrees that Kurt was far and away way worse off than she was at this point Yeah, when um, it came to I still use. think it's super hypocritical of her. But I mean, everything's hypocritical. You know, I mean, yeah, but keep going. <laughs> Now, at first, it seemed to be unsuccessful until the end of the night. He was like, fuck it, I'll go. And he ends up going to a detox program in L.A. on March 30th of 1984. 94. That's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> and it was said that the staff were unaware of his background in depression and quote-unquote suicidal tendencies. Mind you, he signed himself into this facility. Okay. He wasn't signed in by anybody else. He wasn't forced to be there. He went, he flew down there, he signed himself in, and he started treatment. Right. And as we now know, drug treatment is the wild, wild west. I think we talked about this we once did. before. Yes. I told our listeners to check out the John Oliver piece that's up on YouTube about addiction. Yeah treatment facilities because anyone can basically open one. So, you know, at first I want to say, how can that be? But then again, it could very easily be because they just want your money. Yeah. And they later went on record saying that there was no indication to them that he was in a suicidal state of mind. And a couple of days later, he, Kurt Cobain would sneak out of this rehab facility and fly back to Seattle. Now, he went outside to smoke a cigarette, climbed and jumped the back wall. Right. Ran, went to the airport, flew back to Seattle. Well, and again, you know, a, a rehab facility can't hold you against your will. No. It's just like a hospital. I mean, if you're in the hospital, at any point, you can just up and leave. Like, there are no... What do I want to say? Like, they don't have... Any sort of, of legal right to hold right, you. Exactly. Unless the cops are already involved. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you have people, for instance, who've been sentenced yes. to, you know, facility. But even when you're sentenced there, my understanding is you can still leave. It's just that then 
you can be arrested for leaving. Does that make yeah. sense? But they they can't have like armed guards, you know, strapping you to the bed or anything like that. Yeah, and it's again, his therapist even went and said, like, I don't know why he would jump over the back wall when he could walk he, down because he's Kurt Cobain and that's so much cooler. Do you yeah, know? I mean, because he, they said he was like he could have just walked down the hall and walked out the door. <laughs> And he was only there for a couple of days, so his staff wasn't super familiar with him yet. So it still would have been 30 or 45 minutes before somebody would have realized he was gone. Right. And a lot there's a lot of speculation saying that he wanted no one to realize he was gone so that he, Courtney wasn't told. Because in the couple of days that he was there... His daughter did come visit him, and so he was able to see his daughter. Who at the time was, she was, yeah, just a Mm -hmm. tiny thing. But Courtney tried to call him so many times while he was in this facility, and he denied her phone calls every time. He would not speak to her. Which is interesting. Yes. So he hops on a plane, goes back to Seattle, and he... That's kind of the last time he was seen. Like, with people's eyeballs. It is said that some of his friends had seen him around Seattle on April 2nd and 3rd. But also his friends are also avid drug users. (laughs) So, again, we don't really have any concrete evidence that anybody saw him on these days. Now, while Kurt was in L.A., Courtney was also in L.A. doing her own quote-unquote rehab thing, which was basically her and her friends holed up in a hotel using the entire time. That works. Yeah. (laughs) 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 And on April 3rd, which happened to be an Easter Sunday that year, Courtney contacts a private investigator, which my first thought is, who's open on Easter Sunday. Right. (laughs) And it was said that he was not the first person she called. Okay. He was just the only one that answered. Okay. And it said that he was having like a small staff meeting. His name is Tom Grant, this private investigator. And she first doesn't give him any names and says, I basically like, I need you to help me find my husband. And then starts talking about their credit cards. And he tells her, like, if this is a credit card fraud thing, you need to call the cops, not Mm -hmm. a private investigator. And she basically told him, like, no, me and my husband are, like, very famous people. And she's like, it's not a credit card fraud, blah, blah, blah. And she went into this whole thing. Now, it's hard for me to believe this, but Tom Grant says that he didn't know who Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain were. I I don't, how old is this dude? Do you know, like, how old he was at the time? Uh, I don't remember. I mean, there's always people. Like, do you know what I'm saying? For instance, just recently, there was a a flurry of stories on the internet that Martha Stewart didn't know who Joanna Gaines and her husband were. Do you know what I mean? And like, I know. (laughs) And here you have two people, you know what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. in very similar sorts of realms and interests. So I I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. But anyway. I see what you're saying. So he claims that he didn't know who they were. And he had an assistant who, maybe not an assistant, he was a younger PI that was in training or something. Okay. And he very much knew who they were and he wanted, he jumped right on it. And when Tom Grant, I think when Tom Grant realized how big these people were 
All he saw was money signs. Yeah, that I can believe. So he took it instantly. And at some point between April 3rd and April 8th, I don't have an exact date. I believe it might have been the 4th but I'm not 100% sure. Okay. The Seattle Police Department gets a call from Kurt's mother to report, to report Kurt Cobain missing. Except it was not his mother who called. It was Courtney Love saying she was his mother. Okay. And so in this police report, and you can find early media stories of this happening, that they claim that Kurt Kurt's mom reported him missing, saying that he had just bought a shotgun, that he was suicidal. He went missing from a drug rehab facility or a rehab facility, but never specified what kind of rehab it was. And so this very much was a big thing right? that his mom was calling him suicidal, but it wasn't his mother. Now, did she come forward and deny this? How did they find this out? Courtney told the PI that okay. she called the police. And why? what would be her purpose in pretending to be his mother rather than just saying this is his wife? I don't know. I don't think she actually said why. And, and then again, like you said, she just spent days holed up in a hotel room. Still holed up at this point. Okay. So she's high, high off her ass. Yes. Okay. And so on, we're going to jump forward a couple of days. Okay. And I'll go into a little bit what happens in these. We'll loop of, back. Yeah, we are going to loop back eventually. On April 8th, 1994, an electrician who was hired to put in a surveillance system discovered the body of Kurt Cobain in what they called the greenhouse that was just a room above the garage, which was a separate building from right. their house. He... Now, this electrician originally said that he thought it was a mannequin or that he thought it was someone sleeping until he saw the shotgun. Right. Because I, if I remember correctly, the initial reports were that he could just see the feet and the legs, basically. He couldn't see the whole body. He just saw legs and the shotgun lying next to the legs. Okay. So, that was also a lot of a big question that I had because I know... There's really only one shot of his body that was ever released to the media. And it's very much, you see one arm, one leg, mm -hmm. and you can see like the shadow of the gun. Oh, okay, two, because mm -hmm. that's not the one I was talking about. Right. Sorry, we're looking at pictures right now. And there's no other shots of his body aside from that one is the mm -hmm. one I'm talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So all you see is an arm, a leg, right. and you can like barely see the shadow of the butt of the gun. Mm -hmm. Mind you, this is a full length shotgun. And so this was confusing for me because had he been able to see the whole body, I have a hard time believing he would have thought it was a mannequin because uh -huh. I'm sorry, but he shot himself in the face with a shotgun. That's not going to be pretty. No. And it was also later said by police that he was only identifiable by fingerprints. Right. So he also left a quote suicide note, which has a lot of inconsistencies in, in and of itself that I'll get into in a little while. 
Now, to get into the actual, his toxicology and stuff of what happened, he had triple the lethal dose of heroin in his system. His drug kit was completely put away in nice and however nice and neat you do you have drug camps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was also traces of diazepam, which is like a Valium. It's just like an anxiety medication. Mm-hmm. And he had shot himself in the face with a shotgun. And this bugs me a lot. They ruled it a suicide that same day. Before they got any toxicology reports, before they got the fingerprints, before they did any sort of investigation, to me, it was the cops walked in, saw a shotgun, and he had sh- the, it looked like a suicide mm-hmm. by the naked eye, so they called it a suicide right there. Well, and I don't, again, I... I'm going to correct you for a moment because it that's they started talking about suicide. If you look on the on his report, it says the day that he the day he was found and the day that they ruled it a suicide. Really? Okay, so I'll stand corrected there. So that bugs me because there's also I didn't look too much more into mm-hmm. this at all, so I'm going to call it a rumor because I don't know for sure how true this is. It's also said that the lead investigator in the whole case has a past, a pretty lengthy past, of ruling cases, suicides, that have later found out to be homicides. Okay. Like just kind of making a spur-of-the-moment judgment yeah. rather than it, doing some investigation as he should. And if you watch... One of the documentaries that I watched, I've watched it probably three or four times now. Um, It is called Soaked in Bleach. You used to be able to find it on Netflix, and now it's not on Netflix. If you have uh, Amazon Prime, it's on Amazon Prime. Okay. And it's a very good documentary. It's very entertaining. Mm -hmm. And it is from the PI's perspective. He does most of the... It's all from him. He's got... A lot of recordings because the first from the first time he met with Courtney Love, he sent something off, he says. So he started recording everything. So you hear these actual recordings of him and Courtney Love. Okay. And of him with one of his one of Kurt's best friends, Dylan Carlson, who also helped the PI try to find Kurt. And they do a lot of reenactments, so it's a very entertaining documentary. I do think there are a lot of holes with things, but I also think it's very informative as well. I feel like it's just all around a good movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it right. is informative. It's also very entertaining because there are like some things that are dramatized right. because they do. See, like I haven't seen that one. I've seen the one that came out in '98 called yeah. Kurt and Courtney. Courtney, which I believe that is actually still on Netflix, but. When he met with Courtney, he met her at this hotel that her rehab that she was at. And she was very much high the entire time. And she was, at first, seemed very concerned about these credit cards. And he just, he didn't see what, he didn't know what the issues were yet. 
And throughout the whole time, you kind of sense her sending him kind of on a wild goose chase. Like she only gives him small pieces of information until he's already done what she's asked him to do. And then she'll be like, oh, but here's this too. But again, how much is this just her being an addict? Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you can't get a straight story from somebody. And like I said, she's not just an addict, but she's actively using during mm-hmm. this time period as well. Yeah. So her lucidity and trustworthiness has to be nil. Yeah. So he at this point is just looking for he's just trying to find Kurt Cobain. And she tells him that he likes to stay in these really fancy hotels. And like here are a couple of his Favorites or his names. Oh, okay. Oh, his, like his the name, aliases. His aliases that he uses. It, by the way, one of his aliases was Bill Bailey. <laughs> Makes me so happy. <laughs> and so he starts looking through these high-end hotels in Seattle. He starts calling them, seeing if they have anybody under this name. He doesn't find anything. And he decides he's just going to start searching, kind of calling all of the hotels and motels, whether high-end or not. He's just going to start calling and asking. By the way, who has Francis been during this time period? That would be their nanny. And his name is, they call him Kale. Callie. Callie. And Callie is Courtney Love's ex-boyfriend. Oh, my gosh. And so he was in charge? That's horrible. Mm Mm-hmm. So, the private investigator is searching, and he finds someone, it's a very, like, low-end, kind of trashy motel under the name Bill Bailey. So, he calls Courtney, and he tells her, I found him, I think. I'm going to send one of my guys over to see if it's actually him there. And she tells him, no, do not interact with him, do not engage I want you to just surveil him. Don't talk to him, though. Like, don't go over there. Why would you tell him tell him to, like, look for hotels to find him? And then when he does, be like, no. Like, well, don't. Because she doesn't want him to bolt. Do you, you know what I mean? Like, if you're worried, if you're worried that somebody is suicidal or simply avoiding you, of course you don't want them to know you found them. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? So if this guy just walks up and says, ha ha, you know, I have found you, what's he going to do? He's going to bolt again. I also feel like the PI would be smarter and not... What's he going to do then, other than surveil? I mean, those are your two options, right? Yeah. Well, unless he... I don't know. I don't know. I think there could have... <laughs> I think there could have been a, a way for him to have made sure mm-hmm. to been able to confirm that that was actually him. Well, true. I, I, I'm with you on that. And I, she didn't want him to do that. Right. Well, and he doesn't seem like he's a very good PI if he didn't confirm that before he called her. He was still in LA at this time. Okay. They are both Because Bill still. Bailey is not that unusual of a name. I just think of the movie. I know. But, I mean, it's funny. Yeah. But you see what I'm saying? Like, I bet if you Google Bill Bailey, William Bailey right now, you'd find... Yeah. 345 of them, you know? Yeah. So, he was still in in L.A. at this time. The P.I. was, Courtney Love was, and he finally, the P.I. tells her, you know what, I need to go to Seattle. Okay. I cannot do my job completely if I am not up there. So, me and my team need to go up. Are you going to come? Okay. She says no. 
She's going to stay in LA. She's going to keep doing her thing. She, I don't know. So she stays in LA and they go up to Seattle and she tells him, get a hold of Dylan Carlson. He can help you. All right. So he does. He gets in touch with Dylan Carlson, who is a lifelong friend of Kurt Cobain's. Now, before, I think it was the day or two before Kurt went to rehab, he and Dylan went down and bought a shotgun. Okay. Now, it was said that by Dylan that this was because there were a lot of robberies going on in their neighborhood, which I believe was confirmed that there were actually robberies going on in the neighborhood and the cops had taken his other guns when Courtney called the cops. And so he just wanted something to like feel safe in his house, whatever. That's what was said. And I mean, I can understand that. And Mm -hmm. that's actually why they were putting the surveillance system in was because of all the robberies. So like these, all of these things kind of connect. Right. And so Dylan Carlson buys a shotgun for him. It's in Dylan's name, but he gives it to Kurt. And this is also the gun that is found with Kurt. And so on April 7th, which was the day before he was found, mm-hmm. they, I guess we'll go back a day, April 6th. They go to the house, they search around, (coughs) and they don't find anything. Okay. And then Courtney tells them that she wants them to go back to find the gun. Okay. And when they go back to look for the gun, they find a note on the stairs. They read this note. I will try to remember to post a link to this when we air this. And this is a note that Nanny, Callie, has written to Kurt. Okay. Basically saying, like, why are you being such an asshole? You need to call Courtney, blah, blah, blah. I can't believe you were in the house this whole time and I didn't even know and all of this stuff. And it, it all in all, very strange note. Okay. And so the PI, he looks at it, he reads it. I believe he either copies it down or like takes a picture of it or something and Mm -hmm. then puts it back exactly where it was. And he, mind you, the first time she sent them to look for the gun, she just said, go find the shotgun. Right. When she sends him back, when they find the letter, she, the reason they go back is because she says, if the shotgun's there, it's going to be in the hidden compartment in the in the closet, which is again, part of what makes me feel like she's kind of sending him on like a wild goose chase because you just had him go there Mm -hmm. and you didn't tell him about this hidden compartment in the closet. And now you're like, you need to go back because there's a hidden compartment that it's going to be in. But again, you're dealing with a, yes, you know, like I said, adult drug, I, I'm sorry. I keep repeating that, but do you know what I mean? So the fact that they're, and, and this is always my problem with conspiracy theories is that, you know, you want something to be true too often. And I feel like a lot of conspiracy theorists, and I and I felt this way, and like I said, it's a long time since I've seen Kurt and Courtney. I think I saw it very shortly after it came out. So, I mean, yeah. a long time ago. And, you know, even at the time, I just felt like people, you know, 
suicide is so god awful. Mm -hmm. And when you feel like somebody is incredibly gifted and talented and as beloved as Kurt Cobain was by fans and and I think even his intimate circle. Do you know what I you yeah. know, as flawed a character as he was, he does seem to have been somebody that many people who knew him loved him mm -hmm. and loved him deeply and dearly. I almost feel like people would rather it be anything but other than suicide. Yeah. And I understand that. And it's on the opposite side, because I'm very much the fact that he did not commit suicide. Like, I fully believe that. But I do see that there are bits and pieces of things that a lot of people hold, like, so true that... So, for instance, you get a lot of his, like, childhood friends and family who have been friends with him throughout his life and his family and stuff that will all, like, swear, like, he was not suicidal. But again... But, you know... Okay, so this is where... I disagree with the whole thing because they're like, he couldn't have done this. He wasn't suicidal. Mm -hmm. He couldn't have done this. Having someone that was severely depressed, we know this. Right. Everybody knew that he was severely depressed. He you was very show, open about that. Yeah, but you don't show people when you're at your lowest. Right. And most people, you know, and most the whole thing is part of suicidal ideology we know is that once people have committed to that thought in their own minds they actually are happier and you know you hear this tragically over and over again well they seem so much better yeah. they seem so much happier I would have never thought they would have done this because they're not going to show you their lowest points so I will kind of I'll give that one out <laughs> but I still don't believe he did it okay Okay, so I know this is going to be kind of in the middle and not really at a good stopping point, <laughs> but this is where we're stopping for today, and we'll be back on Thursday to finish the rest of this for part two. I apologize again for this being kind of in the middle of the episode, and you're kind of being left on like a cliffhanger. <laughs> I'm going to try to put it, I'm going to try to stop it like right. a decent point. But when you're but, doing conspiracy theories, there's a lot to talk about. And, and there's a lot of bouncing. And, right. Well, and Kurt Cobain is such a huge figure that he deserves a two-parter. He gosh, does. Darn it. He does. Yes. So go ahead and follow us on our Facebook page. Join our discussion group if you want to come chit-chat about this. Tell me your theories. Yes. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And if you have any suggestions on cases for our upcoming states, you can email us at stateofcrimepodcast at gmail.com. And I think that's it. Yeah. We'll see you on Thursday. Thanks for listening. I'm so happy. Cause today found my friends in my head I'm so ugly, that's okay Cause so are you, forgot me Sunday morning is every day